0: You could stand at half-court and rep better than these guys. Morgan knocks Smart down and is called for.
1: And we are back with another episode of From the Rafters. Sam and I are here recording on Monday, June 21st. And we are joined once again by Bobby Manning of CLNS Media.
0: How are you doing today, Bobby? I'm great. Awesome weekend. <laughs> Phenomenal games. And a brilliant trade on Friday.
1: Yes, well, we're going right. to get into all of that. Getting into all of that. I do, before we get into Al Horford, obviously the, the star of the show today, uh, just a quick shout out to the Philadelphia 76ers for absolutely choking. Uh, shout out Kevin Herter, Trey Young, everybody on the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, I, I know, Bobby, you mentioned you were at the Bucks next game, so that's incredible. But you get to see both games this weekend?
0: Yes, I did. I, I listened to the Hawks game on the radio, but you could get a real feel of those moments. The Simmons passing up the shot, the announcers were right away like, what, what is that? <laughs> And yep. then, uh, you know, the herder three-point foul on uh, Thibel there, there was just some great yep. moments down the stretch of that game. And if um, you told me Trey Young was going to start 1-14 of 14 in a game and they were going to win that game seven, I mean, there were just some incredibly unpredictable results over that weekend. The Suns coming out, storming the way they did without Paul. Uh, and then the biggest one of all, the Bucks methodically choking that game away. Like, you would never believe in the final moments right. of that fourth. And after KD hit that shot, if you asked me, I would have said there was zero shot that the Bucks were going to win that. But both teams were just laboring <laughs> up and down the court. Uh, Giannis got that little floater to go. Middleton hit that turnaround. And it was like, it was basically a 4-2 overtime. <laughs> so, I mean, that was just crazy. The atmosphere in there was amazing. I said that during the Celtics series. Underrated crowd there in Brooklyn. Um, they got a nice crowd there and that chant with Giannis at the free throw line was pretty legendary. I mean, that was I I that was creative. That was airballed
1: twice. It, yes, airballed twice. It produced
0: those two airball moments. Uh so credit to Giannis starting the night like that and then finishing hitting eight of them and really just having the game of his life to outdo KD mildly there. He obviously had more hope on his side, but that was that was incredible. And I think like I, I like Giannis. Do you guys like Giannis? Like I, I do. I wanted him I, to have a that. I like, like him that. a lot. Yeah. I, well I like
2: I like the things he's done. I like that he signed an extension with Milwaukee very respectable. He didn't, you know, jump ship. Uh he stuck to them. I think I mean I was really mad at game five when they lost and I was saying I was saying and he was a period, plumber. He'd be cause... making heroes in Greece if he wasn't six eleven. But yes. he had a tremendous game seven.
0: Yes, and the slanders through the roof, and even in the win, it's still like, oh, the other side was injured, they would have blown right through them if they were healthy, and that's probably true, but at the same time, Giannis was phenomenal in this series, and for large stretches of this year, I mean, he was a legitimate MVP candidate, again, would have been back-to-back-to-back, bird-style, and like this, he's really accumulating a career that's going to go down with the all-time greats, and people talk about him like he's a joke, and I know... I, not being able to shoot it's not ben simmons level but at least he the, tries. the degree to which yeah. he struggles is is frustrating to watch and the way they deploy him and the manner in which he jacks a lot of three sometimes i know drives people crazy but it, there's really no answer for him you know you saw kd struggling to defend them in there blake griffin fouled out trying to defend them and he's probably going to go to the finals i'm just yeah. if you're going to ask me later who i got in that series i think i think yeah, the no. bucks are going to get there hmm without a doubt for sure
1: yeah I mean I'm excited to see what the Hawks can do I'm I probably will be rooting for them just purely for the underdog factor because that's just the way of thinking but I guess realistically everyone left in the playoffs was an underdog especially when you consider Kawhi got hurt so uh, I'm really unbiased as to who wins the finals from here on out the Nets are out the Sixers are out and the Lakers are out so I'm I'm cool with any champion we get that's this right. year so I'm super excited.
0: I think it's the first conference finals without a one seed since 94, I think. Yeah. Well, oh, It's been a something long like time.
1: I saw something. I think 94, I think that's the Pacers. I saw that the Hawks are the first team in the conference finals without an all-star. I saw that stat as well. So,
0: um, And this it, is it's great. Just- I mean... People are complaining and saying like, oh, this season doesn't count and this is going to kill the ratings and this and that. These are new, fresh teams with really big stars. And I think people are going to realize quickly that... These matchups, and we already saw it with Clippers Suns game one, are going to be phenomenal. You'd love to see Kawhi get back out there, and that would obviously completely change the dynamic of the race right now. Right now, I could see any of these four teams winning it all. Clippers would definitely get an upper hand if Kawhi got back in there, but I don't think he's gonna. So you basically have, with these final four, a wide-open race for the title, and I don't know why people aren't excited about that. This is what people always complain about with the NBA, the predictability. It was heading that way with the Nets, and they get a few injuries and now all of a sudden you're, you're going to have three more brilliant series to end this postseason. And it's really, at least in my recent memory, the best playoffs I've watched that that weekend was insane.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't get excited to watch games that the Celtics aren't in usually, but I was excited to watch both those game sevens and game six on mm-hmm. Friday night for Philadelphia. Yeah, that, that was there, a yeah. great game, too. I mean, so many great moments. John Collins over Embiid, which was crazy <laughs> because, yeah. like, it was one of those dunks where he went up and then Embiid hit him and he went even
0: higher. It, it was nuts. I Trae remember Young... I, told you, I told you guys on this show, John Collins was a guy I wanted badly here in Boston. <laughs> and now it's looking like it's playing out that he's he's going to become worthy of that max contract in Atlanta. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's funny, like, he didn't sign extension because, like, he kind of wanted to leave,
2: but, like... Here they are kicking ass now. Like he's definitely not going to want to leave now.
1: not no himself. reason. It's
0: amazing go. how that team turned it around because they were, they were worse than Boston by a long stretch to begin the year, and then once. They had that little two game series, and then that third game where the Hawks absolutely pulverized them in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. from that point on, they both kind of just flipped in terms of position. The Hawks became that, you know, up and coming middle of the pack team there in the East, and the Celtics just sunk right back down in that playing tournament where you probably would have expected Atlanta to be. And that's going to be a problem in the east for years to come. Uh, that team's only going to get better. It's a destination obviously. Uh, they certainly have the ability to add another star to the fold there if they do want to, you know, flip some of those young guys like Hunter and Herder and those types. So, they're dangerous. They they're going to be a big force in the east and they're already ahead of schedule. For sure. They have a great team. The the GM put
1: the team together perfectly. Nate McMillan stepped in and has done an amazing job. So, Shout out them. And you mentioned Boston, obviously, towards the bottom. Hopefully that changes next year. It's my segue into what well, many are calling one of the best trades of the Brad Stevens era, considering it's the only trade <laughs> of the Brad Stevens era. But uh Kemba Walker, 16th pick and a second for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a second, I think, 2023, 20, 2025. 20, uh, fairly irrelevant seconds, if you ask me, uh, in the deal. But the big piece is being Kemba for Al Horford, a trade. Sam, you've predicted many times in a trade. I'm sure you I love beg on for based it. on
2: <laughs> Based you and on John in the background
1: poo-pooed me. You said no. I didn't do that. No, no, that wasn't me. No, no, you you put that on somebody else. I've never said that. I wrote about the deal uh for Hardwood Houdini. But uh, yeah, I'd I'd it's love your immediate reaction. Immediate you didn't reaction like it jack, huh? No, that, no. Sam is putting words in my mouth. I wrote about the trade that's as most the most, most likely ball. trade uh, for Hardwood. See, be the fans, gone. so
0: the fans certainly didn't seem to like it because I didn't know what they were expecting to get for Kemba at this point. It, like he showed last year that he's an unreliable player in terms of showing up every night, like, and that's not going to change. The knee issue that he's dealing with here and. You know, credit to Zanis there in the Garden report. He said it to begin the year. It's degenerative. It's not torn ACL. It's not something that you're just going to recover a meniscus, something like that, and come back strong the next year. This is an arthritic condition that's going to be managed, but that's the best case you're going to get there. And we actually did see probably the best case we all would have imagined last year with him yeah going on that 30 point per game stretch to close the year playing good when he was out there but needing substantial rest and management and i thought that was the biggest reason for the team's instability last year it was his uh, starting role in the team his vital role in the scoring department that they had but his inability to be out there enough to mesh with the other stars and fill in with a new role because beyond the injury factors that he was dealing with he went from being the first guy when he first started in boston the Prime scorer on the team to being essentially a third off ball guy. And it's not only something he's never done before in his life, but also doesn't seem like something he's going to be comfortable doing just in terms of his style. He's not a great off the ball three point shooter. He's not an active mover off the ball. And as a small guy, he can kind of get bumped around if he's trying to move and run off the ball and cut and those type of things. We saw him struggle to finish. We saw him have games where he had a ton of problems shooting with rhythm. And we know he's not the greatest defender in the world at his size. So he became... I, like. And, you know, I hate to pile on him like this and say that all last year was his fault, but like it's hard to look at anyone else and say, this was your problem, and it's not his fault. Like He he was a guy who was gritting out game after game in Charlotte, and that probably contributed to how he aged into his Boston contract. But I, I don't want to hear it when it comes to people saying that Boston did him wrong or that this was a waste of a trade just because I think you're going to benefit not only from not having to worry about what role he's going to play in and how often he's going to be out there, but you're also getting an incredibly reliable player back in Horford. Right.
2: And he can still play. People don't think he can still play because he was on a bad team that they didn't play him. But when he was out there, he had numbers the same as when he was an all-star in Boston, if not better, at least scoring.
0: People's last memory of him is that Philly year. It's So it's understandable.
2: Al Horford, he and his game is not something that ages poorly. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not somebody that's uh, an example would be Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, he's not a small guard, but like relying on his speed to get around guys. Al Horford's a fundamental similar to Tim Duncan. I mean, not to the same skill <laughs> level or anything crazy like that, but he's not doing anything crazy athletic. He's making smart plays, the right play in the right spot, making good post moves. like he's not gonna need super athleticism to be yeah. effective and he can mentor Rob Williams, which is a big uh, relationship he had here
0: you you probably want twelve points, seven rebounds, and five assists. that's all you which want is what to... he got when he was a max guy for Boston yeah. and also <laughs> go. <laughs> and so that that's going to become frustrating for some people, too. The massive contract he's on uh, versus the expectations. I think that's what frustrated people when he was here last and the Average Al stuff got born. Uh, but in terms of what he did that all the stuff you mentioned there he did those things very well and then when it came time to turn it up for the playoffs and give them a little bit more of what they need in terms of aggressiveness uh, if you look at the 10 most efficient playoff runs in Celtics history in terms of true shooting percentage his 17 was up there and his 18 was up there so he was an instrumental part in those two east finals runs Uh, there's no mistake that I think the Thunder were 11-14 and 14 with him out there, which compared to the 17 losses in 18 games after, pretty substantial bump that he was given them. And he defended well, and he shot fairly well. Now, his efficiency inside the two-point arc has dipped. Uh, certainly, I think he'll probably need a little management at 35. It's been a handful of years since he's been out there. But overall, he should be fairly fresh, given that he took a seat very early in the spring and has been off ever since.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he played great when he did play for OKC. Like you said last year, I got his stats 14, six and a half three and a half roughly 45, 37, 82 shooting splits. Like He played well, and he, he was, I think, 11 and 14, 17, whatever you said. And then the team was 11 and 33 without him. So he contributed to winning, and they sat him because they were winning too much. Uh, mm-hmm. At least that's the theory people are saying. But now the question becomes, does Al Horford start? Because Obviously, you can't play him at the power forward because we, we saw how that works out with Joel Embiid. Obviously, Robert Williams is a very different player than Joel Embiid, but I think you want Al Horford at center. So Do you start Horford and manage Williams' minutes off the bench, or do you start Williams and bring in Al Horford off the bench when he's needed?
0: I think it's it all comes down to matchups and they're certainly going to need another wing here and hopefully it will be Evan Fournier. This is a, it's a big part deal with that deal is that they save a little bit of money and a little bit of space under the tax that it seems like they'll have a more manageable time keeping him around. So in those wing heavy matchups you probably deploy Fournier, Tatum and Brown with uh, one of those centers there. Probably Rob. I think Horford would be fine coming off the bench in those circumstances. And then if you're going up against a team with a little more size, I think Horford can space the floor well enough and play the high post and do. you can do some movement stuff there with Rob on the back line probably that would allow them to play together. Hey, it's not Thompson-Tice because Tice... And, Realistically, wasn't as good of a three-point shooter on volume, especially as Horford is. You could see nights where Horford could go like six of eleven from three at his best, uh, and you know be a steady two or four guy some nights. Uh, you know he's usually going to take three or four threes, and you know hit about forty percent. I think would I, I would expect with this team here and some of the pressure that the other players are going to uh, draw there. So he's a reliable enough shooter that I think you can go double big with him. Yeah. The question is. What other moves are you going to make on the periphery there? Is Marcus Smart this team's point guard? Is Tristan Thompson still part of the plan here? I think you got a good sense from Brad today that that's probably not going to be the case. You know, he he was, he was really couldn't hide the fact that they have six centers now and they're going to have to move on from somebody. <laughs> so it's probably going to be Thompson. Uh, so luckily, I think you can get a little something for him. I think there'll be some demand for Thompson out there now, especially on the expiring contract. The question is, Do you package Smart with him to try to get the best possible return? It's tough for me because I think we're overdue seeing Smart become the point guard of this team. He's been the best passer through Irving and Isaiah and Kemba, certainly. And he just never got that opportunity with this team to be the everyday pure point guard that he showed he was capable of when other guys were injured. Uh, But at this point, has he lost enough of his step that you do actually want to start to think about the future and moving on from him and seeing the value you could get for him this off season. I think you have to weigh it heavily. That's how I felt at the trade deadline. John Collins, I certainly would have pulled the trigger for Aaron Gordon. I wasn't as excited for, and I think we showed that that panned out in Denver. So you see what's out there. You pull the trigger if it makes sense. And if not, I think you could keep him around on a manageable deal next summer. I wouldn't extend him now, Probably won't be great to bring him back without that extension, but you could also trade him at some point in the year if it comes to that. I know fans aren't going to be thrilled about seeing Smart go, but I've been saying for a while now, it's probably time. It probably is if you can get something of value here. I think he's the most valuable player asset that they have on this team, and they certainly need help. Uh, in a variety of different spots at the wing, at the point guard spot, they can address point guard depth in other ways. So I wouldn't be devastated if they came into the year with Smart out there. But I would explore trading them. I I really would. What What do you think uh, a possible return for that package would be? Thompson Smart, just just
2: spitball or whatever, or if you have something in mind too.
0: Um. Phew. I think you could get something decent for it just because the salary is strong. You have Smart at about 13, 14 there, and Thompson's at 9. So you'd be bringing in like, you know, you could bring in a $20 million player and something like that. I don't have anybody in mind off the top of my head. And I do think it probably would be hard to find a solid return for that group in this market. In terms of Thompson, I'd be very interested if the Clippers – want to send Rajan rondo back i think that would Mm. be fantastic speaking speaking my
2: language he was (laughs) in on the horford deal
0: i've been begging for rondo just because i think i think you look at last i think you look at last off season and you say if you knew what rob was going to become and now certainly you have the depth to protect around rob in the case of injury there you would have traded thompson for a wing Definitely a Jay Crowder type would have been great in that mid-level slot. Or a, a point guard like Rajan Rondo, a veteran and a reliable ball mover who can glue this stuff together a little bit. Um, and then, of course, you have to consider the TP slot, too. I think there's a handful of interesting guys that could help them, like a DJ Augustine in Houston. Uh, obviously, Larry Nance gets talked about every single day when it comes to that slot. He would obviously be the best available out of that salary that they have. I like with the TP.
1: too. Yeah,
0: you know, one of those depth point guards would be something they really need right now because I don't think you can say Peyton Pritchard has proven yet that he can be a starting level point guard. He's certainly a good depth guy and wing shooter out there who can handle and uh, facilitate a little bit, but you didn't see enough in his rookie year to say, like, let's hand the keys to this guy and let him go wild out there. So you do need, I think, a reliable, sturdy veteran point guard. And if it does require giving up smart, I think you have to weigh... The options, obviously none of those guys I mentioned, I would keep Smart if it came to training for any of those guys, just because I think he has shown enough four sense, passing uh, sensibility and cohesion on lobs and finding guys in their right spots to say that, all right, Smart might not be the best scoring threat at that position like you want to see in today's NBA but you can rely on him to move the ball and get it where it needs to be, reposition himself, and hit a spot up three. And hopefully, with more defensive-minded players around him, he can have a bit of a comeback defensive year and really just solidify this team's defense. And Sam, really, like that's what I'm most thrilled about with Horford. You think of a lineup of Smart, Fournier, Tatum, Brown, and Horford, and then you know the bigger lineup with Rob out there. Those could be some really exciting teams defensively and if you have a team that's reliable night in and night out on defense that's good enough to get you a four or five seed because it doesn't waver that much if you're a shooting team you're gonna have some awful shooting nights and that's gonna kind of be uh more variable there but when it comes to defense if you're a good defensive team that's that's pretty steady as utah phoenix uh, philadelphia showed this year
2: yeah and also uh, you mentioned smart becoming a good playmaker one. I think he had a really excellent playoffs besides maybe game five, he was rough shooting. But he was he probably did. their he was second really best one round. Yeah. And then also he has a he had a tremendous chemistry with Al Horford the whole time. So having him back is gonna be great for lobs, like you mentioned. Obviously, Robert Williams is always a lob third as well. I'm interested to see him run pick and roll with Al because I, I like you say he's been the best passer on this team. I'd like to see him get a shot. He's one of, he's my favorite player too. So it's, it's
0: biased but for sure. He led that 18 run with Irving down and uh, you know, there were other stretches out there. People forget 2019. He was hurt for that Milwaukee series. Most of it, at least. And that was a big yep. reason I thought of their demise. Uh, he in many ways is that glue guy and gives them a little bit of what they need. And, I do think there'll be a strong chance that they can keep him around for another contract after this. So I don't think there's an urgency to move smart like some people talk about, but I do think with a little bit of regression that we saw last year and just how he's played his career through a lot of injuries and bumps and bruises, that could be a guy who deteriorates a little bit more quickly. So I do think you have to fi- keep an open mind to moving on from him despite the importance to this team. Um, one guy I'd be really excited about coming in here and changing the dynamic of this team and that I would pay quite a bit for. And I think we've talked about him on here before it was Kyle Lowry. You know, if Mm. if Philadelphia can't swing that and they would obviously be the team most interested in him and couldn't quite get that deal done at the deadline. I think if you can send out enough salary to Toronto, whether it be smart, uh, you know, one of those young players picks and Thompson who, who from Toronto, if you could get Lowry and Lowry, of course, is going to have the big say there in terms of his next destination, I'd consider hard capping myself in a sign and trade situation for him. I don't know what the salary would be if he's trying to push $30 million. It's probably not in the cards with the hard cap, but I'd be willing to forego 48 coming back, trade smart, trade Thompson, as well as future assets and young players and picks to get a Lowry in here and try to have that Chris Paul effect like you know Paul showed in Phoenix a guy who can glue everything together uh, be a primary scorer in his own right but also give the game what it needs and just be a veteran who was one at a high level and, and change the culture in that room and you know I would that's like really the only guy left I think that the Celtics could feasibly acquire who would bring that kind of impact to the team this summer
1: mm-hmm. I've always loved Lowry Sam and I have had the Lowry debate and argument time and time again i I know sam's not a huge fan but uh, i I mean i I was i I
2: think he replaces what smart brings to a degree so i think it's uh a reasonable decision if you're gonna do that i just told you he sucks when he's on the raptors because i mean he, he usually wasn't very good against celtics until that playoff series
0: yeah, well, he did win a championship, and I thought it was a strong sure. part of that team. Kawhi was obviously the lead runner there, but there were many games where Lowry had to take over that spot as well, with extra pressure on Kawhi and give the game what it needed. And man, he was a menace through stretches of that Boston series last in the bubble. Uh, you know, just well, he able to get his. For sure. Yeah, he was. He was able to get his shot off wherever it wanted. I think he's the biggest need on this team, just a facilitator who can get Tatum and Brown the ball in their spots and if we had, there's obviously concerns in the room at this point too as we read in the athletic this week that i think we all had a feeling existed but now we have those those uh you know reasons that brad is no longer the coach and that there's going to be some level of shakeup up this offseason already has been in kemba heading out but yeah. i think there certainly could be more heading forward as we just see the different stars on this team being unable to put their concerns with each other out there in a I, you know, productive way. I, I definitely think there's a communication problem on this team and just a mindset all year that we'll figure it out and it'll just happen on its own. There weren't any big conversations. I'm sure there were a few big team meetings here or there to try to figure it out. But for the most part, you had a lot of individuals who thought they could do more and solve the problem itself. Tatum chief among them, you know, Tatum kind of came out with an approach of, I'm going to shoot a ton, I'm going to score a ton, and that's going to solve our problems. But we saw that didn't play itself out in winning. There were games where he scored 50 that he took over and won, but there wasn't anything to follow from that that was sustainable this year. So you do need guys like Lowry. Obviously, the new coach is going to be a big part of bridging that gap between the different stars on this team. But I am a little concerned about what we're reading when it comes to the chemistry problems in this room because... You can just tell they're real. You know, we knew it was real in these finals and it extended mm-hmm. into this season. And unfortunately, a group that had a lot of talent and potential, I lost much of that talent at this point with Hayward and Kemba walking out the door because of just the way the intersecting parts weren't able to come together. So I think going forward, you can't think we're going to clear all the our space and flexibility here for the big fish you can't do this anthony davis thing again and unfortunately it feels like that's where they're trying to line themselves up with this kemba trade and the way brad talked about today I think you just need to make do the best you can with Tatum and Brown and bring in whatever pieces are going to most effectively accentuate them. And, you know, Horford's obviously the first step in that, but I think a guy like Lowry would be a fantastic part of that as well. And you can say, oh, if you bring in Lowry at two, three years, you can't go get Beal. You can't get this guy or that guy when they become (laughs) free agents. Frankly, I don't think you're going to get those guys anyway. You have to try to do this a little bit of a different way and start to readjust how you're going to manage things here. And luckily... I mean, isn't this first Stevens trade kind of a kind of an example that, you know, this is probably a loss here in terms of giving up an all-star for our aging role guy. gave up a pick here. But it was something that was necessary. I think it was a fair deal for both sides, and that wasn't something Ainge was always willing to do.
1: For sure. For sure. I mean, I'm super excited to look at the shakeup this offseason. I think it was kind of in order, just the way Brown and Tatum were progressing into this like next level superstar status, like as much as you need a leader like Marcus Smart, I think at there comes a point where you need to kind of hand the keys to those guys officially as in terms of, you know, the locker room and everything. I'm not saying trading smarts, the best idea. I, I still love Marcus Smart, but when you mentioned combining, you know, smart and Thompson salary into a deal, I, I started looking at salary uh, caps on my phone right here and out, outside of deer and Fox requesting a trade, which I don't see hmm. happening. Uh, so, some of the top guys, uh, I noticed, obviously, there's Malcolm Brogdon in Indiana. I don't know how willing they are to move him. I know Sam really likes Brogdon. Um, another team, I don't know really know what they're doing in Toronto, but if Van Fleet is their future plans, great, but he matches that salaries. Taylor Rozier and Charlotte's there, but the guys I have my eye on the most, I really think if you can pry DeJounte Murray and or Derek White away from San Antonio, I think one of them could fit in really well in Boston as a ball handler, and both are under contract for a little while as well. So, again, I don't know how willing they are to dealing them. But I think either one of those guys wouldn't necessarily be too, too expensive. uh, And the Celtics could potentially make a deal for that.
0: Yeah, and San Antonio is probably going to be in the business of stacking up picks at this point. I think Murray, and that's someone I had a conversation with recently, brought up that name in terms of someone who could help the Celtics here. I don't know his availability in terms of a San Antonio perspective, and you know, Greg Popovich's presence there, I think, has diluted their direction a bit. They've tried to push through and really try to win with some of these aging vets rather than unloading and accumulating picks the way Oklahoma City has. So I think it would probably be smart for them to take a pick or two here from Boston, some salary coming back and, you know, try to move on from a guy like Murray at that spot. And that would help Boston substantially. I loved the way he approached that game and I haven't watched a lot of him, but when I saw him play at Boston in that 50 point or 60 point Tatum game, uh, it's 50 points too. you. Um, you saw him be able to get to his spots at the mid range, move the ball, reestablish himself on the three point line and do a lot of things they need there. It's just, he doesn't, he doesn't bring a ton of winning, a ton of cachet to the room and leadership, which I think someone like Lowry does, um, like, I, I really think that guy in the room is so important right now in terms of fixing a lot of the problems that they have, as much as on the court. Like, they have to balance those two factors there because, again, they have had some great teams and pieces here the last couple of years, and it hasn't translated into winning. Like, I screamed all year about the roster, but you could look back at 2019 and say they had the roster then. But it didn't translate into winning for some reason. So you have to balance now building the best roster possible by building a roster with building a roster that likes each other and can play well together. They came close in 2020. Unfortunately, with that roster, it veered a little bit more toward nice guys who couldn't play like Cantor, Edwards, Grant, Romeo, those type of guys. I think all those moves in terms of resetting the room were great inside, uh, but then once they got to that highest level of play their bench came back to bite them a little bit in that sense. Yeah, and you mentioned uh Murray, that's a that's a great one, Jack,
2: because he's younger. Like Bobby said, he's good at getting to his spots, good at getting guys involved, and he fits the timeline that we yes. talked about so many times this year. He's he's excellent. I do uh, Lowry would be
0: a sign and trade, right? Cuz he's a free agent. Yeah, yeah. so and, you know, the name I didn't throw in there who actually would have to be part of all of these deals is Rob. Uh, so you would hope that Rob is valued around the league. I think that got tricky around the trade deadline when it came to the Vucevic conversations. Ma- the Magic were much more enticed with, Ver- uh, not Vernon Carey, uh, the center red Duke before him, uh, Wendell Carter. They were more enticed by him than Rob Williams. And it seems like as we saw in the NBA draft in 2018 that 2016 for willing to pass on Rob's potential just because of the injuries that have played out here. So I do feel like he could be a chip that would solidify a lot of these trade packages, but it would take a team that really likes what he brings to the table and isn't as concerned about a lot of the other stuff. And unfortunately last year came so close to showing that potential before just a variety of ailments hit him down the stretch of the season there. I, Most importantly, forget the turf toe, that one, that swollen behind the knee there that flared up for a few weeks, that being the ailment that impacted him on draft night, I think is particularly concerning there because that is something we heard about him having issues with in the past. So Rob would certainly have to be part of that Lowry package. I would think that would have to be a sign and trade, as you said, Sam. So you would have to send out as much salary as you can uh, to stay below that hard cap line there at 143. So you'd be looking at a roster with Tatum Brown, Lowry, and you'd have to fill quite a few de- uh gaps there with veteran minimum guys, uh, young rookies who are inexpensive that your second round pick, as well as some undrafted free agents there. Um, Along with, you know, luckily, that's that's a great thing about picking up Moses Brown, two million dollar contract there. Um, you might even have to find a way to move off Horford in that scenario as well, which I wouldn't be completely opposed to. I know I'm thrilled about having him back, but I'd be much more thrilled to have a Kyle Lowry in here than him. So, again, signing trades get very complicated just because of how close this team is to the hard cap already. Like, I think, like, as we talk right now, they're only, I'd say, about. 10 million or so below that hard cap line. So it would be very limited in terms of what they would be able to bring back in terms of salary. uh, They would have to send out quite a bit of salary. But fortunately, like I said, Smart's 14, Thompson's 9. So that gets you to 21, uh, 23 rather. And, um, you know, then you can add a Rob there and get to 27, 28. Uh, So that matches what would be probably an expensive Lowry contract for a year or two there.
2: What do yeah. you think of Lonzo Ball, if we're going to talk uh, signing trades? Because last mm-hmm. time we had John Corrales, and he explained the hard cap to us, and he, he basically said they can't do it.
0: No, they, they can. It's just you're going to have to give up quite a bit. And so would you give up smart Thompson, Rob, um, and then I'm sure New Orleans would want picks as well for Ball, and lock him in as your long-term third piece? I know he'd help quite a bit in terms of gluing this roster together, but at that point how much would you really have to glue together? I know Tatum and Brown, if he can unlock them to an even higher degree, that would be great. But I'm still not sold on this team's young talent. I like Neesmith. I like Pritchard. I've never been the biggest Romeo fan. So in terms of what you'd be willing to work with at that point like ball is not going to be the kind of guy who can drive you to an Eastern conference finals and championship player at his best. From what I've seen, I like he'd be a great complimentary piece and roll glue guy. The time to do that kind of deal to me would have been at the trade deadline where he's on this rookie deal right now. You would have been matching his salary on that deal. And then you would have been able to re-sign him for the price you wanted and play out that restricted free agency. At this point, you're going to have to match his salary in the twenties of millions and then stay below that hard cap line since it's a sign-and-trade. So, you know, that's why John says it's essentially impossible. There's ways to do it. I just don't think they're all that palatable. I'd be much more comfortable giving up substantial amount of players here as well as future pick assets to get a Lowry guy who, at his best, probably can push you to that next level if he does reach his highest ceiling here. For sure. At uh, that point guard like that,
1: like you said, the locker room presence Lowry bring, it could— have a Chris Paul effect on the Celtics. Now, a a team with a few playmakers, I'm not going to call them point guards necessarily, that the Celtics could look to poach this offseason is the 76ers. Mm. Uh, And yes, I'm going to bring up the idea of Ben Simmons briefly, but I do think there's other guards on that team that the Celtics could take off of Philadelphia this offseason. I'm talking George Hill would fit into a TPE, which I I think would be a fine veteran point guard to bring off the bench. Also, Shake Milton, who barely played in the playoffs, but would uh, what I think would be a Lou Williams type off the bench for the Celtics in terms of scoring and passing a little bit there, too. And obviously, the last one is Ben Simmons, whose trade value is (laughs) at an all-time, all-time low, plummeted this offseason, and I think they could get Ben Simmons for a couple firsts, Marcus Smart, Tristan Thompson, in a young guy. I, I don't think it would be that bad realistically, but at the same time, I don't think you should run him at point guard. Keith Smith tweeted out the other day, Ben Smith needs to be regarded as more of a powerful, I'm sorry, Ben Simmons needs to be regarded more as a power forward who can guard every position and also play make, which I think sounds pretty good uh, in a Celtics uniform. But at the same time, that's a huge risk because you've seen what he does in the playoffs. So what do you think of the Sixers point guards and trades? And, yeah.
0: I'm staying far away from Simmons and I don't need to do this whole, he sucks. Did you see what he did in the playoffs? thing? Cause everyone's <laughs> doing that today. But I do think what needs to be said is that this is a guy who is being paid over $30 million through 2024. So he's not a free flyer here. Like Markel Fultz was on his rookie deal when he got sent down to Orlando. And essentially anyone in the league at that point could say, all right, this is a fairly cheap player who has enormous potential still in a different environment. And we're willing to take that on. And if it doesn't work, whatever, he's gone in a year or two here. And they ultimately extended him because he looked better down there. Uh, Simmons. Like that's your guy. You're going to be taking him on and saying, this is our third piece with Tatum and Brown for the entirety of their contract. Is this your big three for a championship? And I think that's unequivocally no. He can't shoot. He doesn't want to shoot at all in terms of even field goal attempts. And there's clearly something wrong with his mentality now that he might never get past. When you go off that deep end in terms of your confidence as a pro, you never turn back a lot of the time. So I think that is a massively concerning thing. And he's going to have to go to a situation like Houston, like Orlando, like Sacramento, where the stakes are so low that he can just go out there and play basketball and find himself again. He cannot come to Boston with the noise, uh, the politics in that room, and the demands that he wants to be able to uh, you know, call out as a player in terms of how they should play and how he wants to play. Like he, He's going to have to go to a very low-stakes situation right now and – Like, I I heard someone say this on the radio today, and I actually think it's true. I'd rather have Marcus Smart right now than Ben Simmons. I agree. Like, Smart can hit a shot, and he's fearless. And I know he's not as good of a defender as Simmons. I like what Simmons brings to the table as a defender. And a good thing about his demise here is that he was, frankly, one of the better Tatum defenders in the league that we've seen so far. And now that's not going to matter anymore. Uh, So... Yeah, like I don't want anything to do with him and that contract and his confidence issue that we're seeing right now. That was as startling of a series as I've ever seen a superstar I might have in my, uh, my time covering this league. And it really probably is going to be the end of the 76ers there as legitimate contenders because that was a guy that they invested that max contract in. He needs to go now, as you saw in those pressures last night. His teammates and coach have no more confidence in him and the return that they're going to get for him is going to be minimal to none. Like, that CJ McCollum idea that's been tossed around by KOC and others is probably the best bet for them.
2: Yeah, I would have been more... um, I don't know if I would say... Well, on board would be the word before the playoff series, of course, but more importantly, before they traded Kemba, because ideally that was the swap. The money works better. You don't have to give up a bunch of your pieces for him, and you would be bringing in a guy to fill Kemba's role as the distributor,
0: but now this is crazy. you can't be so sure. <laughs> this is crazy, but I'd rather have Horford and Moses Brown than Simmons.
2: Well at <laughs> least those guys you can rely on, especially Al Horford yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah. You you can trust him.
0: There's just yeah, there's just so much baggage with Simmons right now, just in terms of his ability to get along with the other stars on a team. We saw that was clearly an issue with Embiid. And and I, his, his approach to the game right now is just start like startling like, how do you go five and here we go I'm gonna do it how do you go five <laughs> games in a seven game series without taking a single shot in the third fourth quarter and then all of a sudden your coach has to placate him which is the difficult thing I thought with Kemba for the Celtics too like you have to play these guys in terms of their limitations just because of their contracts their status on the team, and the noise that would be made if you benched these guys. And so a lot of the times it's not as simple as sit them down and bring these guys off the bench. In Kemba's case, like I think he's actually a pretty comparable situation here. You had to start Kemba. You had to make Kemba central to your game plans despite his limited capacity as the defender and his fit alongside the Jays. The option was never going to be reduce his role and put him on a back seat. He had to either be here and central or gone. And it's the same thing with Simmons. Like, he would have to be a centerpiece to Boston's game plan. And we frankly don't even know who the coach is at this point. So who knows if he would fit with what the coach wants to do. And as you guys said, Keith said, he views him as a four. I view him at this point in his career as a rim-running five who's going to be able to make plays off the short roll. And that's really all he is. So you're talking about, like, him being, I don't know, like, Bruce Brown? a taller Bruce Brown (laughs) right now. No, like I'm serious. And this guy's making $30 million. It's like Philly is Philly's done by like, it's crazy. But this, this series and this demise by Simmons just sunk Philly unless they can really find a a crafty, sneaky deal. hand. I do like Daryl Morey. I think he's a great GM who is going to be able to find something creative here to sustain their uh, winning, but like for people who don't like Philly and want to see them fail, this was a huge week.
1: <laughs> hey, Philly is as you say down bad. They are down horrendous right now, and I mean they should have pulled the trigger, Ben Simmons for James Harden in that package. That would have been ideal for them. So. I I've,
0: yeah. so I've heard that. I've heard that talked about this week. So my understanding of that situation is that you had a Rockets team that traded away four or five first rounders for Russell Westbrook in that Chris Paul deal. So they were so desperate for picks that somehow that Nets package became more enviable than Simmons yeah. and whatever else Philly was offering up there. So like, I I think Simmons was on the table for Harden. I don't think that was Philly's problem. I think Philly's problem was Simmons maxi and like, you know, four to six first, which would have been a staggering price to pay for Harden. And again, I think Houston got a little stupid there and, wanted to unload as much salary as possible too. So Simmons contract. yeah, an for them. For yeah. All the good pieces in that trade went somewhere else. It became a salary dump essentially of Harden for picks that are very uncertain here. Uh, it's going to go down as the worst trade of all time in my mind.
1: It was, it was just, it was bad, especially because they gave up, like you said, Sam, Karis Levert and Jared Allen, who would have been building blocks yeah. for them, in my opinion, next good to place. Christian Wood. So I don't, I don't really know what they did. It is, it is, it is what it is at this point. I'm curious to see what Simmons does, but Bobby, I know you got to go fairly soon here. And you mentioned the coaching uh, change in Boston. I, I do want your thoughts on that before you get out of here. So, I'm Chauncey Billups and I believe was it Ime who got a second interview uh, with uh, the Celtics, as, as well as Darvin Ham, uh, the Bucks. <laughs> so, what are you thinking there? Who, who is your Do you have a top choice? Do you have a top three? Just what are your overall thoughts on the coaching search right now?
0: So Udoka's become a popular name this week, uh, both in terms of his connection to Tatum and Brown from the World Cup, which I didn't know about actually before this week, that he was a uh, pop guy on pop staff out there in uh, China for that run. And we obviously know that there was a great feeling coming out of that tournament. And obviously Kemba, Smart, Tatum, and Brown were able to come out of that with a strong bond that they carried into that next season. So if the Jays are okay with Udoka... I know enough good things about him at this point, and as, as his time as an assistant with Philadelphia, where he, he was raved about, it, and it really seemed like he was going to get an opportunity there uh, before Philly decided that they need a completely new staff under Doc there. Um, so he ended up getting ousted to Brooklyn. But before that tenure in Philly, Guy Popovich's staff, Obviously, that's a great tenure and something that Stevens respects. Uh, I think he's a huge Popovich fan. We see it too in terms of Bud guys, Charles Lee, Darvin Ham there in Milwaukee. That's also kind of pops, uh, you know, coaching tree there with the Bucs. I'm not as crazy about a Bucks guy coming in here, although Ham has a great reputation as a guy who wasn't a good player but lasted a long time in the NBA just because of his leadership there, um, and you know, I don't know as much about him, so he could end up being a perfectly fine candidate with a different perspective than Bud. But the fact that he's chased Bud around through Atlanta and now Milwaukee where Bud, I think has really become a questionable coach that game seven final stretch. There was just mind-blowingly Pain. bad. And the whole series, shameful. frankly, from Bud was just so shameful for up from a coaching perspective that I just don't want a guy from his staff in here. Just seeing that. So, Udoka, I think, is my guy at this point. I had concerns about the Chauncey thing just in terms of like my approach toward people who are accused of sexual assault. Like, and you know, I don't want to go too far down the line with this discussion, but I I, like, I do feel like there is a societal need to Mm -hmm. like hold those people a little bit more accountable. And obviously, I'm not saying he was guilty of it and he was never. Convicted, anything like that but was there really ever any consequences for chauncey billups stemming from those like really disturbing accusations in 1997 yeah just me personally and how i feel about that issue I don't necessarily want to bring in a guy with that kind of baggage. And it sounds like he's headed to Portland anyway, for one reason or another. Uh, David Aldridge said it on CLNS, as well as Jeff Goodman has a feeling that Chauncey's going to be heading to Portland. I love his resume. I love his cachet. I think the players know and would love him. But I like that just that was a little too much for me. The more you started to learn about that case and the history here in Boston. And I think there's other fine options here that would work well. Udoka chief among them. Yeah, I, I've uh,
2: grown fond of you, Doka. I was Sam Cassell. I was in on that, but he hasn't been really brought in any more than the first time. Did he even get an interview?
1: He wasn't, because he was still in the playoffs. I think was what. Oh, it was. okay, he, I got you. Something was going on. He wasn't in that first little pool. You like don't it.
0: hear, you don't hear a lot about him for any of these jobs, really. Which is
1: it's really weird. It's really
0: yeah, weird. no, and there's a conversation there too when it comes to black head coaches who have paid their dues and been quality players in the league for a long time. I know Kenny, uh, Kenny Anderson. There was very upset about what happened to Patrick Ewing in the NBA, and. I don't go as crazy about that one because we've seen Ewing now at Georgetown. He really hasn't done that great of a job before this last year where they went on a big East run, uh, but he hadn't even made the tournament there with Georgetown for three years to start his tenure. So I didn't think that one was as big of a deal, but there really is. I mean, what did they say? The seven black coaches in the NBA now, and three of them made the conference finals at this point? You know, that more than anything has to show you that there's – Quite a handful of strong assistant coaches in this league who haven't been given that look when it comes to the starting opportunity. So I think doke is overdue. Um, you probably benefit from being the one who uh, gives him his first shot after him being overlooked for so many years. Uh, and, you know, I th- I'd be 100% fine with that. I think that you will start to hear more names, though. Uh, certainly, Bleacher Report. Um, seems to think that the Celtics going to make a strong run at McMillan, but you would think that Atlanta's going to match just about any offer on him at this point yeah. after the run he sent them on, so I wouldn't think that one's in the cards.
1: 100%.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sam Cassell was uh, is still at the top of my list. I think
1: just his resume and his time in the league combined, like, like Chauncey Billups, yeah, Chauncey Billups, like what you said, Bobby, that was enough to turn me away. And on top of that, he spent one year in the league as a coach anyways. so like there's just so many combination, uh, such a huge combination
0: of factors there. Like Now, now don't get me wrong. Like, that. I like I think there's an open debate in terms of forgiveness, too. Like, yeah. you know, like, in t- how can you address it? How can you be asked the question? And how can you show that you've changed over 20 years here to earn a bit of a second chance? Like, I think that's a valid, open conversation. I just want to emphasize the fact that it does need to be a conversation. It can't just be, oh, that was a long time ago. Let's hire him.
1: A hundred percent, and regardless of that, even I
0: still think Sam Cassell's the better
1: coaching candidate, just in my personal opinion. Yeah, pa- the past that, yeah, yeah, past that, I still love Becky Hammond. I think she's going to end up in Orlando or Portland if she does get a, a head coaching job here. I just think her resume is a- amazing as well. And then is my my top three, or rounds out my top three, I should say, uh, there. So I-, I think any of them would be an ideal candidate. I think Brad Stevens, through his coaching experience, will choose a great guy, anyways, uh, for the job. So. I'm not too worried about it. I'm just eager to see who uh, gets chosen as the next Celtics head coach. But uh, with that, Bobby, I know you got to get out of here. So we appreciate you joining us today Thank on sure. from the Raptors. Uh, check out Bobby at Real Bob Manning on Twitter. Is that correct? Yes. Bingo. Bingo. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say before we let you go here?
0: Uh, no. I mean, tune into the Garn Report tonight. We'll be going live talking about that Brad Presser. I know we didn't talk about it a ton here. I wish. We got more information out of it. It was kind of just boilerplate stuff, and it, you really didn't get a good sense of why Kemba's gone, which is still my most pressing question. Obviously, I think we all have an idea, but we haven't heard it definitively said that, like he just, he just wasn't healthy enough to be a centerpiece on a team anymore. Which there's been a lot of noise about how could Boston send him out after that. Like you, you have to do what's best for the team at the end of the yeah. day, and I really don't think there's going to be any extended detriments to trading Kemba, uh, even to a place like Oklahoma City. You just kind of had to do it at this point. And like, I'm not waving the flag at the fact that he's gone. It's only a tough tough loss that a guy dedicated a max contract who didn't work out in that way, and you're going to be compensating for that over the next few years and hoping that you can fill that spot like you did after Irving left. Um, so that's, that's what I'm writing about for Celtics blog this week is like it's not a celebration even though i'm excited about horford coming back the chem is gone it really is a somber thing that that didn't work out and that they ultimately made the wrong choice there and keeping him over re-signing terry roger and continuing to grow with the timeline of young players who were in the same place at that time and um it's tough because you don't know if they're ever going to bounce back from that
1: for sure Brad Stevens giving typical Brad Stevens answers at his first press conference as a president of basketball operations. Wouldn't expect anything less. But, uh, yeah, thank you again, Bobby, for joining us. Go follow Bobby at RealBobManning on Twitter. You guys can follow me at JackSimoneMBA on Twitter and follow us at BannertownUSA. Uh, and for usual, Sam, go ahead and wrap us up.
2: Yeah, pass out the follows. Just like Jack said, I don't have to repeat it today. Uh, big thanks to Bobby again coming on. He still hasn't taken down the Horford jersey. He has been loyal. It has paid There's off. There's
0: a reason. There's always been a reason. And Hey, uh, uh, can we get a Moses Brown highlight tape, Sam? We The people need it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> maybe. Maybe I'll have to, man. I, I I can just take that one game where he got all the rebounds he got all season.
1: <laughs> Easy highlight tape right there. <laughs>
2: uh, but yeah, thanks so much for listening. Thanks again to Bobby. You can follow me at Sam LaFrance NBA. That's our show for today. Goodbye.